Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is January 13th, 2020. It's a Monday. Is it Friday yet? So this week, we're going to have a lot of developments coming up, a lot of people talking, a lot of new names coming down. I was very surprised to see someone else today bring up someone that has been hiding in the shadows, someone that has been around in our Middle Eastern politics and revolving around nuclear energy from Iran-Contra to the war in Iraq to, 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 up to the surface. So many names coming up from the past. And, you know, that just goes to show that uh, everything you seek is usually in the past. Everything you need to know, you already have. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday, 12 to 2, Only on Red State Talk Radio, we break down the news the way it is intended to be. Now, I think we should kick it off with um, our president uh, and his uh, interview on the Ingram angle. It was extraordinary because he told you a lot there is to know and more so a great Um, thing that we saw come to was Nancy Pelosi answering that. So we're going to deconstruct her interview. And then we're going to talk about Libya, Turkey, and what's going on on that end. Um, For today, kind of like a foundation thing. Um, Before we begin, I just wanted to say, you know what I found pretty incredible? So the royals, right? We have the Brits calling out Meghan Markle for, oh, you know, she's just a person that wants to climb the ladder. She's, you know, whipped uh, Prince Harry into submission. It's not about racism. It's about this. No, it's about mutiny. See, one thing we need to understand about corrupt clowns is that there's um, the old blood, you would say, the royals that have been dominating and planning this new uh, world order that they've envisioned uh, with their failed uh, Muslim uh, infiltration in the 1300s, ending with the Spanish Inquisition and then taking power and reign, uh, weaponizing religion. And now we've come to an era where we've seen new players come up on that front. New young players that were bold, aggressive, and greedy. Using an iron fist and bloodthirst to push that through. And I take that to the new politicians that we see. Barack Hussein Obama was not liked by the European Union. Irregardless of us seeing him bow down to people selling our nation short. He did things in the Ukraine that... The EU did not agree with his aggressive stance and his remedial and amateur moves indicated someone in a rush for some reason. Why is he rushing? And someone that didn't understand the fine lines of manipulating human beings. See, the one thing about human beings are is that if you rule them with fear, you rule them in, with a fist, they will come back and bite you. 
But suddenly we've had a huge, huge push for controls, not only in the respects of bagging and tagging you, uh, chips, uh, facial recognition, biometrics, but we're talking, what if you've been tagged on a molecular level? We'll get to that tomorrow. So this young, amateur, aggressive type person that walked into politics, global politics, and annihilated any sense of freedom the people of the United States had. The person that took it to that point where he was supposed to hand it over to the wicked witch of the West. He's now giving advice to the rebel royals. And a lot of people are like, oh, Megan just wants to be in movies. Oh, Megan just wants this. Why are they going to Canada? Ah, activating the crown in Canada, trying to split the crown to the young and thirsty, the ones that are being told how to dominate. Because apparently Michelle, Michael, and, you know, Barack Hussein have been giving advice to them of how to rule outside of England. Interesting. I hear that Hussein has been hanging out in Canada a lot. What's the plan there? No more Trudeau, no more eyebrow gate rule. That's to come. So let's begin today's show listening to our president on the Ingram angle. Mr. President, we just learned that Nancy Pelosi has announced she's sending articles of impeachment next week to the Senate. What's your reaction? Well, I think it's ridiculous. I, she should have sent them a long time ago. Uh, it, it just it belittles the process. What they've done to impeachment, it's like I was interviewed by a very, very good writer, reporter, somebody that you know very well. I could say Bob Woodward. He said... He's doing something. And this time I said, maybe I'll sit down because nobody's done more than me. I mean, nobody. If you look at three years with the economy, with regulations, with the tax cuts, with everything, all the things we've rebuilt our military. Our military was totally depleted. Our military was old and depleted. And he said, you know, you don't look like somebody who's under impeachment. As you know, he slightly covered Nixon and he covered Clinton. But Bob Woodward, he said, you actually look like. You've won everything. You look happy. I said, I am happy. So maybe I'm wired a little bit differently. Um, impeachment managers, anyone that you, you would prefer to see? She hasn't well, named we have them a, yet. We have a will. team. No, we have a team. But her impeachment managers, well, they I would love them. to ask a couple of their people some questions like, Schiff, why did he lie? Why did he make up my statement? Totally made it up. But again, the whole thing unraveled when I put in the transcript because it's all about the transcript and it's all about the president of Ukraine saying he did nothing wrong. How long do you think this will last? Well, it depends. If they have a trial, it probably takes a few days or a week. And uh, or, unless we want to have a bigger trial where we bring in the whistleblower, which I'd love to do, and I'd love to bring in the, the informer who disappeared. I'd love to bring in the second whistleblower who disappeared. I'd love to bring in the inspector general. Why did he bring it up there? He should have never done it. He didn't want to see the call. He didn't want to see the call. He took this whistleblower, who's a fraud. He took the whistleblower's report and he put it in. They said to him, no, no, if, it's, if that's the case, if you have to do that, what we'll do is we'll show you the actual call. No, 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 I don't want to see it. What's that all about? Why did he do that? Inspector General. So I'd like to interview the Inspector General. Why did he do that? 
and put everybody through. You worried about future presidents, what this is going to do to the presidency in the future? I think it cheapened the word impeachment. I think impeachment's a very ugly word, but I think this cheapened the word impeachment. I think Nancy Pelosi and Schiff, you know, because he's corrupt. I mean, here's a guy stands up at the United States Congress and repeats a conversation, except it was a fraud. He made up a conversation. He was saying my conversation, and it was totally wrong. And he knew it. He said, uh, don't call me. I'll call you. That's from The Godfather. That's from, that's a mafia statement. I never said that. He said eight times quid pro quo. It was no times. He made up a conversation and repeated it in front of Congress. And because he has immunity, we can't do anything about it. I'd like to say, why did you do that? No, these people are frauds, and it's very bad. No, they've cheapened the word impeachment. It's a bad word to start off with. I really say it. It's an ugly word. To me, it's a very ugly word. But uh, maybe it played to our benefit. When we talk about impeachment now, uh, it looks like McConnell is agreeing with Josh Hawley's uh, proposition to dismiss these articles of impeachment if Pelosi doesn't send them over. My question to you is, why not have them dismissed today? Why wouldn't McConnell just say, we're, we're done with these games? Or do you want a trial? Well, in many ways, I'd like one. a trial. And I'd love to have uh, Sleepy Joe Biden. I'd love to have his son. I call him Where's Hunter. I've changed his first name to Where. Where's Hunter? Uh, I'd love to have the whistleblower who wrote a fake report. Uh, the whistleblower is a person that is... You know, you know who the whistleblower is. By the way, everybody knows who the whistleblower is. But the whistleblower is still working in the White House. Everybody, I don't want to say, but everybody knows about the whistleblower, and they know about the whistleblower's lawyer. But then, do you remember there was a second whistleblower? I want to know what happened to the second whistleblower. What happened to the informer? Remember that an informer? They all disappeared when I gave the transcript because I gave a transcript, and that blew everything apart because we have an accurate. And if the only thing covered by the hearings was that now people agree, everybody. Even our great lieutenant colonel, please call him lieutenant colonel, uh, our great lieutenant colonel agrees that the transcript was accurate. I think he had one word different. We'll change the one word. It meant absolutely nothing. The transcript was professionally done by the best people there. Are. Just one second. So we have a transcript. They never thought I'd release it. They probably never thought I had it. I can only say, thank goodness I had it, because I, otherwise I would have been falsely accused and it would have been, sadly, my word against them. But we had other people on that call. Think of this. I was going to do something wrong on a call where I know there are many people listening. Always. Uh, the president of Ukraine said I did absolutely nothing wrong. He said I had no pressure whatsoever. He didn't even know what we were talking about. And we called them before I released the transcript because it's a terrible thing to have to release a conversation with a leader from another country. It's a terrible thing. I mean, what are other countries other yeah. than Ukraine? What are they saying? So anyway, they have no. Before I allow this to go so you can listen to the whole interview, I want to mention why don't we pull out the Talcon script from the time that the United States was withholding aid from the Ukraine, like Biden said. Do you think that calls between Biden and the Ukraine happened during that time? Yes, indeed. Are they covered by presidential privilege? Yes, indeed. I think it's time to strike that EO and bring that out in the trial. 
no case. Why not call Bolton? Why not allow him to testify? This thing is bogus. Why I would have Bolton no problem other than one thing. You can't be in the White House as president. Future. I'm talking about future, many future presidents. And have a security advisor. Anybody having to do with security and legal and other things. You're going to invoke executive privilege? Well, I think you have to for the sake of the office. I would love everybody to testify. I like Mick to testify. I like Mike Pompeo to testify. I like Rick Perry to testify. I want everybody. But there are things that you can't do from the standpoint of executive privilege. You have to maintain that. So we'll see where it all goes. But especially a national. Okay, so here's where the left is going to say, well, if you like it, then why don't you have them testify? Because then it sets precedent for presidents to come to have to comply with insane requests like this to violate executive privilege. That's key here, okay? Uh, he's got no problem. They got they got nothing to say. I mean, they have nothing that will satisfy the Democrats to say. And the only thing thereafter is creating that precedence. That's it. National Security Advisor, you can't have him explaining all of your statements about national security concerning Russia, China, North Korea, everything. You just can't do that. So I think for the good of the office, look, uh, Nancy Pelosi will go down as probably the least successful speaker of the House in the history of our nation. She has done nothing. The only thing she's done is she finally got done one of the best trade deals our country has ever made, the USMCA. That's with Mexico and Canada. But I did that. She doesn't even know what it says. She has no idea what it says. She was forced to do that. You know why? She wouldn't have done it. But she did nothing. So now she can say, I signed something. She is obsessed with impeachment. She has done nothing. She's going to go down as one of the worst speakers in the history of our country. Now, she's obsessed with impeachment because they need to stop him. He is dismantling a global network. It's not just here. It's not just to save the skin of her son or the sons of others. It is a well-established, well-oiled machine that has been operating untouched, unscathed, with no one being able to penetrate it up until now. A simple little wrench, tiny little wrench called President Donald J. Trump threw it in there. And that wrench has self-propagated into a massive roadblock of people globally, globally seeking freedom, transparency and real democracy. In all fairness, she's hurting our country. She's very bad for our country. And she's become a crazed lunatic. But she will go down as, I think, maybe the worst speaker in the history of our country. How do you get more? And she'll be overthrown pretty soon because she's doing very little and the people are tired of it. And she's controlled by the radical left. She's controlled by AOC. She's controlled by this Talib. It's another great one. Okay, let's talk about AOC for a second. AOC is supposed to be paying DNC dues. Well, D and D. DCCC dues. They're like a quarter million dollars. Well, that's a lot of money, you guys. I didn't know that being the voice of the people means that you have to pay dues. Quarter million federal tax dollars or campaign contributions and dues, which she says she is refusing to pay until they bring on very pro- progressive candidates. You know, 
Remember the freshman meeting that Obama had with a bunch of freshmen congressmen, all congressmen and women, um, all of which were Democrats, of course, guiding them and telling them about his change maker strategy. Remember that? Remember how I just told you at the beginning he's coaching the royal family to move to Canada? Mutiny amongst the corrupt. This is what you're seeing. See, this is the perfect, perfect, perfect scenario. Not only are you dismantling the machine by empowering the people, but you are having uh, factions within this well-oiled machine turn against each other where they the old school would tolerate they now cannot because they're getting louder and more vocal and stronger Hmm. this is how you break them down from within and she's controlled by uh, omar we just heard that they are thinking about adding another article on impeachment they're floating this to include the events of the last few weeks here's what chuck schumer just said Over the past few weeks, there have been several crucial disclosures of evidence that appear to further incriminate the president. Each disclosure bolstering the argument we Democrats have made for a trial that features the relevant witnesses and documents. Your reaction to their potentially adding to articles of impeachment they still haven't delivered to the Senate floor. So they can't win an election that's going to take place in 10 months. They know that. And the only thing they can do, it's like with their Congressman Green when he said, we can't beat him, we have to impeach him. And they all know that. They're making things up. This is the craziest thing anyone's ever seen. And the two articles that they put in, as you know, they're not crimes. They're not, they're not even allowed to be put in. It's a disgrace. Doesn't not These show people, the weakness of their case, but they're still uh, trying to rebrand this as something I, I else? Think it's, I think it's incredible. I've never seen anything like this. No, this is- I, I think it's incredible. I think it's really hurting them. Look, my numbers are the highest. They have my poll numbers. You have this, this guy that goes on television all the time. He gives phony numbers. My poll, as you know, my poll numbers right now today are the highest they've ever been. And by the way, People love that we took out this horrible terrorist. They love it, Soleimani. They love that we took him out. They think it's so fantastic. He should have been taken out over the last 20 years by somebody. He should have been taken out a long time ago. But my numbers are the highest they've ever been. And a lot of it's because of the impeachment hoax. It's a hoax. How would you like to be two, two and a half years? I'm under investigation, federal investigation, before I even ran in my opinion, before I came down the escalator. But from the time I came down the escalator, I'd been under investigation. They found nothing. They found nothing. Who else do you think in Washington? No, well, few could have withstood it. No, no, think of it. Not only withstood it mentally, and I think, you know, somebody said it actually energizes you. Yeah, because it makes me angry. But think, who else could have withstood that? You take some of these Democrat senators, they couldn't withstand it. You know what would happen? Number one, they'd fold up like an umbrella. And number two, they'd be guilty of a lot of stuff. Yes, they would. Completely guilty of a lot of stuff. But... That's the thing that I don't um, see people appreciate is the immense um, psychological pressure. Because remember, bottom line is he is a human being at the end of the day. And he has feelings. And how does someone who has lived a life of luxury and indulgence feel... 
when they decide I'm going to do something good with myself. I am going to use what I've learned in vicious, in the most vicious and highly mobster-like environment of property uh, within the most uh, competitive states, cities, and nations. How can I use all that in my connections to do something good for my nation that gave me so much? How can I do that? And so you turn this leaf, you go forward and you're like, you know what? I'm fine. It's not, it's not me. It's not personal. And he has to see it like this. He has to see that it's not personal, that it's not because these people have no morals. They, if they can't get to you, they will get to your kids. And if they can't get to your kids, they will come at you with the most vicious weapons they can as hard as they can mobilizing their parrot media, mobilizing anything and everything within the social fabric of this nation and others in order to push their ideology and push you over that edge. And I think because President Trump learned a lesson that a lot of us are learning now, which is pride is good in moderation to be proud of yourself. But when you're too proud and arrogant, you will see a fall like no other. And he had taken that fall over a decade ago, almost two decades ago. And now he, at that point, he started to approach things with actual humility. And that allowed him to grow as a person, as a business person, and be who he is today, which is incredible. Now, uh, for the next half hour and starting now, actually, I want to put out Nancy Pelosi's discussion where she discussed with George Stephanopoulos a lot of things, but specifically she said something that was like, what? Trump will be impeached forever, ever, ever, ever. Wait a minute. Listen. I think we all saw that video that Millie Weaver put out where she was asking people, if President Trump is impeached, will you vote for him? Yeah. So what she's saying is, is that they're changing the rules that if they were impeached, they can't come back in. Mm, So not only are they making fake impeachment articles, right, that can't even be filed. Not only have they slow walked it, hoping to find more. Right. Hoping to find more invoking war powers. Right. Uh, And we'll get to that on Wednesday. They are now trying to rewrite the rules to make it such that if you do get impeached, that you can't be reelected. Interesting. And as we see, they want a trial, but they want their witnesses. Like Schiff keeps saying, take our witnesses. What witnesses? What we saw in you know, Schiff's, you know, little group is Gossip Girl on steroids. Witness. To be a witness means that you saw something. To be a witness, it means that you heard something firsthand. You have personal knowledge. All we heard is, I heard, and then that person of the fifth cousin removed janitor that was married to my neighbor's wife. Like what? We had... Uh, what is it called? Uh, how did they call them? Mm, scholars, that <laughs> constitutional scholars that witnessed nothing, but they had a 
ton of opinion to go behind it. I mean, it's it's insane. It is completely insane. At this rate, you could go to court and have 10 people that just don't like you. And then suddenly you're in jail and you're like, wait a minute. It's hearsay. Uh, they're witnesses to what? Well, their opinion. No, that's not how the law works in the United States. That's not how things work. And if you're out there and you're on the fence about, do I vote for Trump? Do I do this? Think about it this way. Look how many people they've weaponized to go after this man. Why don't they trust their own message? If they were honorable, they'd be like, all right, man, we lost these elections. Time to show the people that were honorable. Time to show that all these years of lying to them, lying to our um Black communities, our Hispanic communities, our everything communities that we're going to help them. Let's show them that we will help them. They haven't done that. Instead, they've spent the past almost four years trying to remove the guy that's actually getting stuff done. I'll see you all in just a bit. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So continuing on this, now we're going to listen to what Nancy Pelosi has to say. Uh, you know, this is kind of her rebuttal uh, to President Trump's interview with George uh, Slimy Stephanopoulos. Take a listen. Oops. Uh, it didn't work for me. She is unhinged in this one. So we're going to be taking a lot of stops as she speaks. Let's get right to our exclusive headliner, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Madam Speaker, welcome. Good morning. I want to begin with impeachment. You, you told your colleagues on Friday to be prepared to send the impeachment articles to the Senate this week. So will it happen this week? <clears throat> and have you settled on House managers for the trial? Well, what I did say is I would be consulting with my members uh, this week on Tuesday morning at our regular caucus meeting uh, that we would vote to send them over and we'll determine in our meeting when we send them over. But it is, we've never, I've always said I would send them over. So there's, there shouldn't be any mystery to that. What we okay. So no, 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 I'm not sending them over. On Tuesday, we're going to discuss holding a meeting to vote when to send them over. What? Like, how long are we going to drag this up to the State of the Union? Is that what we're doing? Hmm? How long do you want to drag this out? What are you waiting for, Nancy? Why are you buying time? Because you just think because you supposedly put out the word impeachment, it means nothing now. You've cheapened the meaning. It means absolutely nothing. When that word had power, which inferred to the people that they were powerful enough to remove someone, you've just cheapened it as just a slander, you know, type of move, like racism. No longer has the base. You're racist. Nobody cares anymore. You're racist about it. Ooh, you don't like peas. Racist. You don't like, you know, vegetables. Racist. You know, I don't like you. Impeached. <laughs> and it's like nobody cares anymore. They've cheapened that notion. So here's your, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said I was going to send them, but we're going to meet on Tuesday and discuss when we're going to send them. And then we're, we're going to discuss when we're going to vote so that we can send them. So first we're going to discuss it and then we're going to vote, set a date so that we can vote on when to send them. <laughs> you heard that? We did want, though, and we think we accomplished in the past few weeks, is that we wanted the public to see the, the need for witnesses, witnesses with firsthand knowledge of what happened. 
but we don't have witnesses with firsthand knowledge of what happened. Yovanovitch didn't even have firsthand knowledge and she got fired, right? She only heard from a friend of a friend of a friend that they were investigating her. She only heard from a friend of a friend of a friend that she was in trouble for being the gatekeeper of the Department of Justice, not allowing Ukrainians from, okay, the office of the prosecutor general to come to the United States and meet with our Department of Justice, which is clearly written out in the Treaty of 1999 about how they work on criminal investigations. But she didn't even have firsthand knowledge. Are you going to tell me those clowns that you brought up had firsthand knowledge? None of them did. All of them had hearsay. The only firsthand knowledge they had is their actions and their contribution to this treasonous act. This is racketeering at its finest. Documentation, which the president has prevented uh, from coming uh, to the Congress as we review this. But as uh, you know, Leader McConnell didn't budge on witnesses at all. He's not promising. Well, he has. A, he will, I think that he will be accountable to the American people for that. Over 70 percent of the American people think that the president should have those uh, uh, witnesses uh, testify. Uh, so, again, it is uh, it's about a fair trial. They take an oath uh, to uh, take have a fair trial. And we think that would be with witnesses and documentation. So that dynamic has now the ball is in their court. Fair trial. This was a complete partisan move in history. It'll be seen as a partisan move from the house. How is this going to be a fair trial again by providing what are you going to give us the recordings where you were eavesdropping? Huh? Are you going to give us the wiretaps? Are you going to tell us why the ICs IG didn't even want to listen to the call to compare to what the whistleblower had to say? Oh, no, no, no. Because the whistleblower was just the lamb going to the slaughter. We need a person. We didn't need a name. Just put it on there. They can't know that we've been wiretapping. They can't know what we've been doing. Shame. Either do that. Or pay a price well, for not doing it. One of the points that Senator McConnell has made is that they're just following that he's going to follow the Clinton model. That you have a couple of weeks of presentations by each side, and then you have a vote on witnesses. It was a hundred and nothing vote for that procedure back in 1998-1999. So why isn't it fair now? It isn't the same thing. There are at least six reasons, and I could take the whole program. Wait a minute. Not the same thing. This is an impeachment. So you're changing the rules. We had a president that lied that he didn't rape a woman. Then you convinced the woman to say that she uh, consensually, uh, you know, got into that affair in the Oval Office. You know, so people think that she was the mistress when she was actually a rape victim and had a lot more to say than just he made me do this. But okay going on how it is different. What's the biggest from the, the biggest one is that the witnesses were all deposed. You know, those witnesses that eventually came were all deposed. The president has not allowed the witnesses to be deposed uh, uh, for the House or for the Senate. Yeah, we don't know what they're going to say, so we can't have them there, okay? So we need to know what they're going to say before they go. Kind of like the sealed testimonies that they don't want to give out because they kind of gave out some information that they don't want to put in there, you know? Kind of like the way Schiff was releasing the transcripts and he had his own, you know, summary. So don't bother reading all of it. Here's a summary. This is what it says. And then when you read it, it's like, um, kind of didn't say that. Yeah, so the... the uh, evidence was there. It was just a question of bringing it 
more uh, to the forefront. So that, that's a very major uh, difference. You can depose the witnesses or you can't. But the fact is, is one of the things that I think is really important, what uh, I, I think people should be very aware of, very unusually, the leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, has signed on to a resolution to dismiss the case. To dismiss. Of course you're going to dismiss the case. You have articles of impeachment that don't count. You have articles of impeachment that don't demonstrate any crimes. And you're painting a target on Mitch McConnell's back. Mm, sounds like a very threatening interview. It's the case. Uh, that, in his view, may be... Uh, but he's committed to having the presentations first now. I'm telling you that he signed on, on Thursday to a resolution to dismiss the case. The dismiss, dismissing is a cover-up. Dismissing is a cover-up. If they want to go that route again, the senators who are thinking now about... Hold on. So they're dismissing it. Here's why. L let me tell you. So you know how Schiff has his skiff, right, with all this information? He's not even releasing it to them. He's like, no, we're just going to give you what we want to give you. You can't have access to everything as to why we did everything. That's not how it works. This is not Venezuela. This is not the European Union. We get to face our accusers always, and we get to see what you have. It's called discovery. You can't just decide, well, you know what? Mm, we're just going to go to court with this, and we're just going to omit any exculpatory evidence or anything that might paint our hands with red. Voting for witnesses or not, they will have to be accountable uh, for not having a fair trial. You made the point that the president has blocked the witnesses, and that's true, but some of your critics have said that the House could have done a lot more to See, here's where Stephanopoulos dropped. Oh, yeah, you know, the president blocked the witnesses, and that's true. No, George, you suck. You're not a journalist. You're a snake because he's not blocking the witnesses because he wants to. He's doing it to protect future presidents from having this precedent be set. That's a fact. He doesn't have to. He has nothing to hide, but they do. To exhaust the alternatives, to go through the entire process in the courts and get uh, to see if they would rule on witnesses. One of those uh, critics is, is, is a very important figure in the Senate, Senator Susan Collins. Here's what she said. The House chose not to go to court to enforce its subpoenas. So there are gaps in what the House has sent us. I don't understand the House's decision on that. So, so that isn't even true. We are in court on the witnesses. Actually, President Trump took you to court. It could take a very long well, time. You pulled back the subpoena on John Bolton. Well, we that, but on the other witnesses, we have been uh, in court. And we haven't uh, eliminated the possibility of ever subpoenaing. Oh, we need John Bolton. Oh, he's hiding John Bolton. Oh, we need John Bolton. Yeah, we did. We have the other witnesses, but just not him. Let's skirt over that. Going forward with... Uh, uh, Bolton, but he has said in this two-week period, that was another uh, um, piece of progress that we made, that he would uh, he would uh, respond to a subpoena from the United States Senate. But the fact is, is that the President of the United States, again, quite different from President Clinton. President Clinton uh, allowed the witnesses to come forward. President Trump has prevented that from happening. Why not wait for the courts to rule? Well, because it'll be how, how, how long do the courts take? We had we have confidence in our case that it is impeachable and this president is impeached for life, regardless of any 
gamesmanship on the part of uh, Mitch McConnell. However, uh, that could still come to bear. But we're confident in the impeachment, and we think that it is enough testimony to remove him from office. However, we want the American people to see the truth. And, and what, why are they afraid of the truth? So if, 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 if the Senate does not subpoena uh, John Bolton and other witnesses, will the House move to subpoena Well, it's him? not excluded. It's not excluded, but we'll see what we'll see what they do. But we do think uh, that there's enough evidence uh, to remove the president from office. But we've done our job. We have defended the Constitution of the United States. We would hope that the Senate. How have they defended it, you guys? What they've done is maimed it. It's as if, look, guys, they would have scrapped the Constitution if Hillary Clinton was president. Be like, let's scrap this and start over. It's not working. I mean, that's basically what they would have done. And they've been scrapping the Constitution ever since they took their seats in this Congress. That's basically what they've done. I don't see how they're defending it because to defend the Constitution means that my vote counts. You have been cheating our votes with your fancy algorithms and your, you know, I I mean, come on. Let's be honest, you guys. Even their own elections within their own party are fixed. And they're upholding the Constitution. Are you insane? See, Pelosi, old school, old blood, right? wanted the hammer so bad that she got rid of her opponent by beefing up Ocasio and now Ocasio is biting her. Do you think that the liberals that you've trained and those insane socialist, communist loving people that you've, you know, brought up to love being subjects, right? Are not going to bite the hand that feeds them. You've taught them to not have respect, I mean, without respect, how do you expect them, you know, to, to, to be built into them, right? How do you expect them to listen and be obedient? That's so insane. And it would do that as well. Uh, this is about, in your introduction, you talked about, well, the, the uh, War Powers Act and this. It's a constitutional challenge. And we feel very proud of the courage of our members to vote. Uh, to impeach the president. There's nothing the Senate can do that can ever erase that. Any second thoughts him. about holding on for three weeks? No, no, no. We feel that it was a very po- has produced a very positive result in terms of uh, additional uh, uh, emails and unredacted information that has come forward uh, that McC- uh, Bolton has said that he would testify if subpoenaed by the Senate. Uh, other information that has come forward. No, and more importantly, raising the profile of the fact that we need to have witnesses and documentation. And if we don't, that is a cover-up. You know, just before we came on the air, President Trump, literally 30 seconds before we came on the air, President Trump sent out a tweet uh, to me asking me to ask you a question. We're going to put it up on the screen right now. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you see there right there, he calls you crazy Nancy again, wants you to uh, justify Adam Schiff's uh, comments during the House hearings. And he says your hearings were unfair and biased. And this draws on, uh, builds on what he did on Friday night. I want to show him on Friday night on Fox News. She is obsessed with impeachment. She has done nothing. She's going to go down as one of the worst speakers in the history of our country. Let let me just say, it's Sunday morning. Uh, I'd like to talk about some more pleasant subjects uh, than the uh, erratic nature of this president of the United States. But he has to know that every knock from him is a boost. He's the president who said, I should have impeached George Bush because of the war 
and Iraq. And now he's saying, I'm obsessed. I held off on this because, frankly, I said, Donald Trump is not worth impeachment. You did say that. He's not worth it. But when he crossed that line on Ukraine, he he violated the Constitution in such a way that could not be ignored. And you so, again, was- I don't like to spend too much time on his crazy tweets because everything he says is a projection. When he calls somebody crazy, he knows that he is. Uh, every, everything he says, you can just translate it back to who he is. But again, it's Sunday morning. Let's be optimistic about the future, a future that will not have Donald Trump in the White House one way or another. Let's talk about the future. It's Sunday morning, a White House with no President Trump. And she's smiling. I just wanted to note, you know, Nancy Pelosi has freckles. That's her skin. She has freckled skin. I noticed something that she's wearing um, a red jacket where her um, collarbone and her upper chest is showing. You can see very, very blatantly that, you know, she's her skin looks very different. It's as if it's being meshed in there and it's not matching her skin. I I just wanted to say, and she has a lot of scarring too on the chest area. I just thought I'd point that out just for those that have an eye for detail. 10 months from now, we will have an election if we don't have him removed sooner. But again, he will be impeached forever. I want to talk about Iran as well. He will be impeached forever. Did you hear that? That's interesting. So that is what she's looking forward to. She's just telling people, yeah, yeah, we're going to impeach him. Don't worry about it. The only reason they have this impeachment dragging on is to hinder foreign policy, to uh, just embarrass our nation as much as they can so that they can feel like they're getting something out of it. Now, before we head into the rest of her interview and start start talking about Iran, I want now to shift to Steve Bannon's interview with Maria Baratomo. Take a listen. Breaking news this morning on support for democracy and freedom rising in the Middle East and Asia. In Iran, protests in the street after the country's leaders admit mistakenly shooting down a Ukrainian jetliner, killing all 176 people on board. In Taiwan, voters are celebrating this weekend the island's pro-democracy leader winning re-election. Again, people in the streets wanting freedom and democracy. And in Hong Kong, protesters holding up the American flag as they continue to fight for freedom. Join me right now in what it all means for America is former White House chief strategist, host of the hit podcast, uh, wildly successful War Room. Steve Bannon is here. Steve, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Reaction to what's taking place across the world. This is the Trump doctrine, Uh, whether it's in Hong Kong, at the ballot box in, 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 in Taiwan, in the streets of Tehran freedom and democracy. This is what pre- President Trump has stood up to the Chinese Communist Party, the dictators in Beijing. He stood up to the mullahs in Tehran. And now you're seeing it. You're seeing the people, whether it's at the ballot box in Hong Kong or in the protest, they just had a sweeping victory there a couple of weeks ago, a landslide victory for the for the freedom and democracy party in, in Taiwan with a record turnout. And this is what the Chinese Communist Party trying to put their thumb on the scale, try to do it. In Tehran, the exact same thing. Remember, in Hong Kong, in a Taipei, Hey, you're seeing the American flag. They're waving in these Amer- these independence movements, these freedom movements. They've gotten President Trump posters of President Trump as Superman or some sort of superhero. This is the Trump policy. You know, it's ironic that this week 
we're going to have the signing of the Chinese trade deal. Right. At the same time that they're moving, they're going to vote to send the uh, impeachment articles over to the House because these are inextricably linked. What President Trump did is go against the established order. The established order, the permanent political class as foreign policy, was to appease these dictators, to appease Beijing, and that's why he saw the rise of China, to appease the mullahs in Iran, and that's why he saw this, this expansion, this, this expansion of Iran in, in, with Hezbollah throughout the Middle East. Donald Trump said, this is not going to happen on my watch. We're going to stop here and now. He's taken a very Churchillian uh, stay, stand, like Churchill took in the 1930s. It's the permanent political class and the John Kerry's, uh, uh, the Hillary Clinton's, the, the uh, foreign policy establishment, that were the Neville Chamberlain's. They were the appeasers. He stopped the appeasement. He went to economic war. He, in the trade deals, he did economic war yeah. with the tariffs against China. He put economic sanctions on Tehran. Economic war is winning and the people in the streets support Donald Trump. Well, the Democrats don't see it that way, Steve. She is sending the articles for impeachment over to the Senate. We're going to have a Senate trial. And yet I can't figure out if, in fact, the president wants witnesses or doesn't want witnesses. What is this going to look like? Why is it that this freedom, this democracy, this movement in the economic growth story is not resonating on his critics? Well, listen, they're not. This is why they oppose him. The established order, first off, they hate him personally, but more as importantly, they oppose his America first policies because America first policies are resonating. Freedom and capitalism are resonating around the world, and that's what they oppose. And this is why he's continuing to push this forward. Remember, when they put these articles of impeachment up, what they want to do is, is basically Bigfoot everything he's doing. They want to have, and this is, I think, the problem Mitch McConnell has, is that they see this kind of trial as being on C-SPAN, right, with, with some very t tight legal arguments. I think President Trump, and the reason on Laura Ingram the other night, he called for an expanded, he called for an expanded witness list, was he understands that the jury's not the Senate. The jury's the American people, but the audience is the world. They're watching on the streets of Taipei, they're watching in Hong Kong, they're watching in Tehran, they're watching and see if the established order can back down Donald Trump. And Donald Trump has the ability to win here. And that's why I've been calling it the trial of the century. He calls it the crime of the century. It is the crime of the century. It should be treated like that. And that's why on Laura Ingram, he walked through the witnesses he wants. I think those witnesses have to be called. The crime of the century, meaning that this was a coup. Kevin McCarthy was on, on several times over the last year who called it the, the worst coup uh, that we've seen ever in our history of our country. That's why the president called for these witnesses. Let's listen to the president on Laura Ingram the other night in that great interview. Watch. I'd like a trial and I'd love to have uh, Sleepy Joe Biden. I'd love to have his son. I call him Where's Hunter. I've changed his first name to Where. Where's Hunter. Uh, I'd love to have the whistleblower who wrote a fake report. Will we get there? Will we actually get all those people to testify? Because that will expose the crime of the century. If, if, if they're making a big deal on the Democratic side and some of these uh, moderate senators are starting to call and they want Bolton and Mulvaney and the emails and, and, and vote at OMB, bring them. What do they have to show? Donald Trump did nothing wrong. This is why it's just like his support of, uh, of the freedom movements throughout the world. And yesterday he tweets out in Farsi to support the people in the streets of Tehran. The established order were appeasers. They appeased the Chinese Communist Party. They appeased the mullahs. He stood up to that. And he showed you in the crime of the century, we should have the whistleblower up. We should have Hunter Biden up. And we should have the, 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 the gentleman Horowitz who wrote the IG report. We should have those people up there. They should testify. If you have to trade off by having John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney, who cares? 
What are they going to say? So, right? What President Trump said at the very beginning of this, when we started our podcast, unity and substance. I did nothing wrong. This call was perfect. And I think the facts bear him out. It's one of the reasons, two reasons Nancy Pelosi slow walked this. One was to find more evidence, okay, because they didn't have it. And they're afraid that guns are going to be turned back on them for a weak case. The second was to make sure she could Bigfoot President Trump's State of the Union message. That's why she slow walked this entire thing. President Trump understands that the jury's the American people. The audience is the world. The world is watching this. That's why he has to take a hard stand, I believe. Well, so you want him to delay the State of the Union. I got to ask you about that because you are asking him, calling for him to make this announcement tomorrow morning. Let's take a short break. And I'm back with Okay, so that's actually pretty interesting, right? He's called for the delay of the State of the Union. I'm all for that, too. I mean, there's no point in having a State of the Union when they're trying to impeach him. I wouldn't even trust him. I'd have a remote 2020, we're in a new era, State of the Union. Do it from the Oval Office. Sit there and give your speech at the Oval Office. Don't even go to Congress. Don't do it. Your State of the Union could be to the people. Televise it. And that way the people can see it. Uh, Make sure that the White House has it. I would do the same thing. I wouldn't even go there. And if you want to have a State of the Union, you can discuss the um, ailments of it. That's where I would be. I'd discuss the ailments and how Congress is out of control and they need to be reined in. Uh, That includes our judiciary. I mean, guys, like I said, we've got legislative, executive, and judiciary. The judiciary is completely out of control. Completely out of control. And that's something that we need to fix, but it's really, really hard because we need them right now. And, you know, it's a tightrope. But let's take a listen to the rest of this. Listen. Steve Bannon, he is former White House chief strategist, host of the War Room podcast. You know, earlier I mentioned that comment by Kevin McCarthy where he said that we just witnessed the attempted coup to take down President Trump. It was the worst coup since Lincoln, is what he said on this program. And this is one of the reasons why you believe they're not going to stop attacking the president. You want the president to fight back. This is a continual, this is the nullification project to nullify his, his presidency. And you see why. They were wrong. They are the appeasers. He's the church figure. He has stood tall. That's why this is the trial of the century. It's about the crime of the century. It has to be big. This is not C-SPAN 3. This is going to be on global television. I, that's why I believe he has to have some of the House people like Lee Zeldin and Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and Gates. And that's these guys not going to happen, though, well, is it? I, I, think he, I think he's still got opportunity to do that. I think the president needs that because they need to be, these fire breathers need to be there. We can't worry about the decorum of the Senate. This is about the direction of the United States of America. It's about the peace and prosperity of the world. Donald Trump's policy is working. It is indeed about the peace and prosperity of the world, and he is working overtime. I'll see you all in just a bit after this short break so we can break down what they're saying about Iran, China, and then some. See you all in a bit. Welcome back, 
everyone to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. This is the second hour of the Tori Says Show. And in the first hour, we deconstructed a bit of Pelosi's interview uh, with uh, George Stephanopoulos, which was pretty insane. Um, And then she goes on to speak of other things that I want us to examine, as well as uh, Steve Bannon, where we cut him off as he's talking about um, how and what is going to occur, what his analysis of this is. Now, I don't always agree with Steve, but I have to say that he's pretty on point on the State of the Union, and I'm all for it. Now, I'm going to revisit in this um, second hour, uh, what I've been saying for a very long time in regards to the mainstream media. It's not something new. The fake news is not new. It's been going on for a very long time. Way before my time, there was a very good musician. A musician that I simply uh, listen to every now and then and... um, Hopefully on all journeys, I listen to him, uh, aside from, you know, whenever you take a long drive, right, you always listen to some set of music. So my song choices are Yanni, very calming when I want to be in my thoughts. And, you know, if I have a passenger with me, they're like sleeping, uh, which allows me to go in thought, but focus. And um, another is, you know, Rat Pack, right? But John Fogarty and the Doors, I adore. And that's, uh, that's, that's, he was a pretty deep musician. And one song is very fitting to what we see now, just so you can see how time traveling Tori is telling you that this has happened before and has happened again and again. The one thing we hear from many people on the street our neighbors, our friends, our family is it's got to be true because I saw it on TV. They sent us home to watch the show coming on the little screen. A man named Ike was in the White House, big black limousine. There were many shows to follow, from Hooter to Dutyville. Though I saw them all, I can't recall which cartoon was real. The coonskin caps, Yankee bats, the hound dog man's the A-bomb fears, Annette had ears, I lusted in my heart A young man from Boston said sail the new frontier And we watched the dream, it end in Dallas They buried in a sunset year Coming on the little screen The grief had passed 
hit the moon and covered up the sky. They built their bombs and aimed their guns, and still I don't know why. The dominoes tumbled, and big business roared. Every night at six, they showed the pictures and counted up the score. of the port The light he says at the end of the tunnel was nothing but a burglar's toll And them that was caught in a cup are all rich and free But they changed my mind to an endless tomb And they took my only son from me I saw it on TV I know it's true Oh, so true Cause I saw it Exactly. We see it on TV and we know it's true, right? That's the way it is. We see it on TV and we know it's true. How true is that? When they wagged the dog on the Iranian war, right? Iran did not go to war with the U.S. Iran was shooting in Iraq. Iran was doing all these things. So let's get to Pelosi where she starts talking about Iran and everything else before we get back to Bannon and before we get to the nitty gritty. Take a listen. I'm not sure it's a more pleasant subject, but I do want to talk about that. Well, no, it's not unpleasant to talk about the Constitution of the United States. This is what we take an oath to protect and defend. This is what this president has violated again and again. This is a president who has said, Article 2 says, I can do whatever I want. It does not. Uh, this is a, 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 a constitution uh, that um, Benjamin Franklin said is a republic if we can keep it, not a monarchy. And Article 2 says, but I can do whatever I want, makes it a monarchy. So this is in, in defiance of the, the valor of our founders and what they established. Now, you saw that on TV. I mean, you know, it's not it's a monarchy if you do what you want. Kind of like a partisan impeachment. Totally not a monarchy. Totally not ruling with the fist. Totally not ruling against the people, right? Uh, and uh, just loyal to his oath of office. And so, you know, as I say, every knock from him is a boost. And everything he says about somebody else as a projection. You said he's violating the Constitution again and again. Do you think it's possible that the House might have to file new articles of impeachment? 
Well, let's just see what the Senate does. The ball will be in their court soon. And uh, as I say, uh, we think that uh, the American people have been very fair about saying, yes, we do want to see witnesses. That wasn't part of the discussion three weeks ago. Let's move on to Iran right now. Uh, Several of your colleagues have taken issues with the administration's justification for taking out General Soleimani. Mm -hmm. Uh, They said it was designed to stop an imminent attack. And President Trump has said that Soleimani was planning attacks on four U.S. embassies. I know you can't talk specifically about the intelligence you've received, but do you think the administration has been straight with the American people about the reasons for taking out General Soleimani? I don't think the administration has been straight with the Congress of the United States. Uh, When I was informed uh, with the conference... Hold on. I don't think he's been straight with the Congress of the United States. So he's not not been straight with the people to say we've had valid intelligence that says that there were imminent attacks. Space Force. (laughs) But that's not our problem. It's the fact that Congress didn't know about it so that they can mitigate. You hear this? She's telling you with her own mouth. Information uh, that the United States had taken out Soleimani, who is a terrible person. Let's not be confused. And the motivations of Iran are, are bad. So there's no question about that. How, and again, with my intelligence background, I'm fully aware of the danger of Soleimani. However, uh, what we want to do is m- not escalate a war. When they called and told me, the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, confirmed that we were involved in this action, I said, well, you should have informed the Gang of Eight in advance of this, this leadership and the chairs of the Intelligence Committee and ranking members, House and Senate. We had to keep it close. You had to keep it close. Well, we had to keep it close because we didn't want it to get out. Yes, when you have leakers everywhere, we didn't want it to get out. And that's true. That tells you everything you need to know. I mean, you saw it on TV, right? I mean... They would be dropping that and suddenly as as our guy sitting in Arizona or, you know, wherever he may be or, you know, my not, you know, the pilots, the virtual pilots sitting there with the drones, not flying them, just waiting to push that button. Suddenly, boom, the guy's gone because CNN called their CNN and that was it. The, the, what? We don't tell the enemies what we're doing. And unfortunately... There are people in the house that are the enemy of the people. And one of them is speaking to you right now. Listen to her. What you're saying is you don't trust the Congress of the United States with sources and methods and timing. Well, we had to keep it close. But is the, is what the and that's president- just not, that's wrong. That is wrong. And so then, as you have seen, even Republicans have complained about the nature of their presentation at the classified briefing. They have to understand Congress has the power to declare war. There is a War Powers Act. We passed legislation further defining that this week. This is an important discussion. Forget, I don't want to say forget Donald Trump. This is about all presidents and all Congresses as to uh, the Constitution. Yeah, but this Congress is not trustworthy. We have a Qatari paid agent sitting in the House. We have you know, terrorists sitting in the house. We have communists sitting in the house. Uh, Our constitution and all laws say if you're a communist, you can't, you know, be in any elected office. It was on January 7th, 
Oh, gosh, I forget the year. I want to say it was 1970-something, or was it 1960-something? New York had expelled, had, wait, had annulled the election of five communists, socialists, socialists. But now we have a bunch of socialists, and we have a rapid, (laughs) a rapid, I would say, growth of communistic ideologies within the House of the United States of America. We have a communist running for president under the Democratic ticket. I mean, come on. Uh, What are they talking about? How can we trust them? They're the ones that are telling us that we should mourn, right? They had front page covers of al-Baghdadi's death that we should mourn. He had an obituary. Are you kidding? They're telling us that we shouldn't have taken out a general. A general of what? These are the enemies of the people. In support of the American people is the United States takes military action. So that's why I'm asking. That's is, the most important is, thing. And there's no appetite in the public for war. But is what the public's being told consistent with, your, with what you're being told privately? Well, I'm, I'm not absolutely sure what the public is being told because it changes every time uh, you see something. But it is, this is nothing. Let me just say, I want to say this because it's Sunday morning. I just took a group, bipartisan group, uh, in December to the 75th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge, a very bloody battle, thousands and thousands of Americans killed in that war. She's really sweating that trip, isn't she? Every single time. She's like, well, I took a bipartisan committee. Such a bloody war where I spoke with the kings and the queens. Take a listen. Was it decisive war in World War II, decisive battle in World War II? And it, it was remarkable, a, a, an allied effort to defeat the Germans there. And this in- glorious ceremony of a couple of few days, but also the, the closing ceremony, the King of Belgium, the Grand Duke of Luxembourg, the President of Germany, saying when you freed Belgium and Luxembourg, you freed Germans too in winning this war. It was beautiful. but. Why I bring it up now in relationship to this is, at the end, one of our veterans, and we were there really to see our veterans, thank our veterans, praise our veterans. I can't hear this anymore. I can't hear that anymore. She said it so many times. I'm like fast-forwarding through this. And these are largely students in the street. They should be held accountable for letting commercial flights go at a time that was so, so dangerous. Here we go. After the taking out of Soleimani, there were protesters in the street joined together as you know, against us. That wasn't good. Taking down this plane is a terrible, terrible tragedy. And they should be held accountable for letting commercial flights go at a time that was so, so dangerous. Uh, But there are different reasons. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. So I was posting pictures (laughs) telling you where all the commercial flights were going. Remember, Iran, right, was shooting from Iran, West to Iraq, right? So there were commercial flights after that uh, whole shindig was going on, still going through the warpath, apparently. And not only that, on the east side where Tehran is, right? We had flights leaving, you know, and going and coming and going because they were out of the war zone, supposedly. Just you saw it on TV, right? I'm just saying, I was just looking at flight logs, you know, and real-time air travel with real-time people on there um, who were actually live-tweeting saying, we just went over there, we didn't see any missiles, nobody changed our route, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, 
So out of all the planes, one gets shot down when most of this had died down. And then you have to think, I mean, it's a Ukrainian plane. Okay. But look at the manifest. The manifest was what? People fleeing. It was a full flight out going to the Ukraine. Full flight going to the Ukraine. Full flight of families fleeing. Some of them GIS specialists, others that work within the Crown Secret Service, right? Uh, so many bizarre, bizarre passengers. And it was just a coincidence. First, it crashed. It had a malfunction. Others departed and landed before it. Mm, but it was very specific. I mean, all you have to do is look at TEDx, one of them. They had a couple people on there. And so you kind of think, well... You know, it wasn't. So, I heard you see was not having it. It was not so. And you would say, well, Tori, if they were working for the IRGC and fleeing, what was going? Well, here's the thing. You need to not have witnesses. How many mafia movies have you seen where they're like, we can't have witnesses. We need to take out anyone. You know, like the the innocent guy that just walks into the shop when someone's being executed and he gets shot too. Not because he did anything wrong. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? Not saying any of them were innocent. I'm saying that they were good and bad. And I think the good, which were the doubles, uh, were mingled with the bad, you know? So mm, casualties. See, this is what is really happening. This is actual war, but on a small scale, because Iran isn't a problem. Situation has been diffused for a while now. What we're seeing is the mercenaries, the people for hire, the people for hire. And speaking of people for hire, you see that there's a lot of people now coming out and talking about these back channels with Iran, everything. And you have to think to yourself, what is going on here? I saw it on TV. It seems a little bit weird. I'm not understanding what's going on. You're never going to understand what's going on. Never. Because they don't want to tell you. Because they don't want you to know. That's why I said, just listen to your president. Listen to what he has to say. That's all you have to listen to. The minute you listen to your president, you will understand where you're going and what's happening. That's the bottom line. You don't need to listen to anybody but yourself. You have the ability for critical thought. You don't need to be told on TV, you know, what to feel, how to feel, and when to feel. You don't. You don't. Kind of like the song said, right? It said, I don't know which cartoon was real because it's all rubbish. Because you saw it on TV, it's real. This is confusing. They're showing you pro Soleimani protests when there's video from people on the ground on their phone showing you protests against Iran. Oh, but no, they're telling you that's not true. It's not. Before we get into more on that, I want you to listen uh, to a short clip of um, military power comparison between Turkey and Iran. Okay, uh, I hope that this is the right clip. Let's take. A okay, 
so it's not. So I'm going to give you the facts. So Turkey uh, on a global scale is ranked number nine. Iran is number 13. Uh, the um, Both of these uh, military forces are found in the Middle East, right, and Asia, right? And the total population of both of these nations, total population, is 80 million, okay? Turkey has 80 million people. Iran, uh, Iran has just under 83 million people. So about the same, right? Up in about 80 to 85 million as a total population, okay? That's the size, okay? Think size. And then we have manpower. Think of how many of them are actually able-bodied males fighting age. You got about 40 million Turks and about 47 to 48 million Iranians. Mm. And then the age of fighting age, well, the average age of the majority of their population, let's say, the majority of their population is 30, okay? They're not super old. Now, how big are they in size? Well, in um, square kilometers, Turkey is 783,000, close to 784,000 square kilometers. Iran is 1.6 million and then some change square kilometers, just so you know. So they're massive, right? They're big in size. And they all have coastlines. Obviously, Turkey has a larger coastline, uh, but so does Iran. They have a coastline. They have about um, 2,500 kilometers, I guess. And Turkey has about 7,000-something kilometers of coastline. So they have water access. They share borders. So you know how we share, what is it, 2,000 miles? Well, Turkey shares with various nations over 2,800 kilometers. And Iran shares over five, well, close to 6,000 kilometers of shared border territory, just so you understand um, the impression, right? So they have waterways, they have vast land, they have, uh, you know, a lot of people that are, um, you know, coming together. And so... Turkey had their Independence Day, which is really weird, on October 29th, 1923. Now listen to this. Peter Strzok Sr. had successfully installed the IRGC in March of uh, 1979. On April 1st, 1979, Iran declares that as Independence Day. Independence from what? Mm. So... You know, with uh, with these nations having 35 million for Turkey and about 40 million for Iran being military eligible and being draftable, that's a lot of people. And they have about uh, one and a half million coming in. Active total personnel, Iran has about oh, just under a million. Active personnel, um, almost a million. Reserves, they have about 500,000, half a million. And they have tanks. All of them do. So Iran has just under 2,000. They have armored vehicles, which is just under you know, 3,000. But Turkey has about 10,000, just so you know. And Turkey also has propelled self-artillery of about uh, 1,200, uh, something Iran doesn't have. They only have like a measly like 440, considering the size of the nation. That's not a lot. But towed artillery using things like trebuchets, <laughs> per se, no, like, you know, rolling guns. They have about 2,500. 
800 of those. And so, you know, the statistics show just how much power they have. And the reason I say this is because the majority of the things that Iran has, it is from Turkey. Turkey, Turkish missiles, Turkish planes, Turkish boats, Turkey, Turkey, Turkey with Ukrainian software. I, it's important that we mention that. Okay. It is very important that we mention that. I mean, they did have a lot of stuff from the UAE from back in the day, but the majority is Turkey, which is hand me down American. I'll see you all in just a bit after this short break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So I analyzed in the previous half hour uh, the power and the strength of these two nations. And the reason I say it is because Turkey has issued a bounty um, just this week. And that was very interesting. But more interesting before uh, we get to that is that Libya is now um, trying to figure out how to have peace talks. So Libya, as you know, has a little, little portion called Tripoli that is controlled by the UN, Turkey, and Qatar. And now uh, Turkey and Russia are holding talks um, in regards to um, figuring out how to level out because Libya has been in shambles ever, ever since we came, we saw he died, you know, um, when Gaddafi was overthrown in 2011 and then subsequently killed, uh, there have been militias, as they call them. It's the actual military, the Libyan um, National Army, and then the GNA, which is the UN-created one. Now listen to what the Qatari-funded uh, network has to say about this whole thing. Remember, Qatar is also investing in that little, little UN-backed uh, Libya. Take a listen. Since longtime ruler Muammar Gaddafi was overthrown in 2011, it's divided between militia groups, which mostly back two rival governments. The UN-recognized administration, led by Prime Minister Faisal Sarraj, is based in Tripoli. It's supported by Turkey and most Western nations, including Italy, which is worried the fighting near Tripoli will force more people to cross the Mediterranean. In the east, there is the Tobruk-based government, the center of power for warlord Khalifa Haftar. He's backed by Egypt. Saudi Arabia, Russia and the United Arab Emirates. France is also accused of providing military support to his forces. In a moment, we'll be speaking to Jamal al who's in Turkey's capital, Ankara. But first, we go to our correspondent in Moscow, Sep Basin. So, Sep, tell us about who is in Moscow and how we're expecting things to play out since Monday. Well, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokeswoman has now confirmed on Facebook that uh, both leaders are actually inside the foreign ministry's building. Uh, Saraj arrived earlier this morning and Haftar was already here since last night. And they will join, as she writes, uh, the meeting that's ongoing now between the ministers of foreign affairs and defense uh, of Russia and Turkey. So there is this suggestion that they will all be in the same room uh, together soon. We have to wait and see. Uh, what is the aim of this meeting is that there will be signatures put under the 
the ceasefire agreement which was brokered between Russia and Turkey in Istanbul last week. And it's also alleged that uh, Egypt and the United Arab Emirates will have delegates to witness this uh, ceasefire agreement. The ministry has said that there will be a long meeting, so we don't expect anything soon, but the talks are ongoing now. And interestingly, of course, that this peace uh, deal, this, this power broker agreement is done by Turkey and uh, Russia mm -hmm. and has come across very quickly now in the last couple of days. Talk to us more, Step, about the role of Russia in Libya and the significance of Russian mediation in this conflict, why Russia is so keen to see an end to the war in Libya. Well, it's interesting how quickly Russia and President Putin has managed to put himself in the position of a power broker in Libya, because we have to remember Russia has been backing uh, Khalifa Haftar, the warlord, since 2016 quietly. Uh, some Libyan money has been printed here in Moscow uh, for his informal uh, government in the east of Libya, and also some logistical support was given. But only uh, since September, uh, Russian mercenaries arrived uh, uh, more in more numbers uh, in uh, Libya and actually have contributed to the fight, more weapons have been delivered, and that actually has changed the power balance in Libya to the extent that now Turkey, uh, which is backing the, the UN-backed government, and Russia are now have become the main power brokers. Okay, let's stop right there. Not just Russia backing the Libyan National Army, right? The non-UN one. The U.S. is. Egypt is. Jordan is. UAE is. Saudi Arabia is. Everybody and their mother is, not just Russia. But see how they paint things. And Russia has always supported Haftar uh, with the idea that he is a strong man who can actually uh, oppose uh, Islamic extremism. But they also have kept open the communication with, uh, with the UN-backed government. It's, it's not only for Putin to be this peace mediator, but there are also, of course, economic interests at stake. And there's supposed to be some kind of deals between Turkey and Russia about oil fields in Libya as well. Thank you very much for that. Step Vassin live for us in Moscow. Let's now go to Jamal El Shail, who's in Ankara, Turkey for us. Uh, Jamal, as we've said, Libya's conflict has drawn conflicting involvement from foreign powers, not just the Russians and the Turks, but also other countries, Italy, France, and to a lesser extent, the Americans. What's in it for Turkey and how soon could we see a political settlement to this conflict? Well, there's a lot uh, at stake here for Turkey um, from different perspectives uh, in terms of the fact that both Libya and Turkey share maritime borders in the Mediterranean Sea. They have now several bilateral uh, agreements that they have signed uh, between the two governments in recent months, the mutual defense agreement, as well as one looking at the demarcation of those borders in the Mediterranean Sea to allow for uh, joint uh, uh, extraction of natural resources um, from there. And if we continue looking strategically across the Mediterranean Sea, you're talking about the flow of a lot of uh, the P uh, refugees who would be leaving North Africa coming towards Europe. Um, there is a large part that Turkey is concerned with or that would implicate Turkey as well. So there's a lot as far as the Turks are concerned. But also beyond that, when you look at Turkey's own strategic foreign policy objectives in terms of trying to find some sort of uh, balance 
of power within the wider Middle East and North Africa region because prior to uh, Turkey's maybe com uh, coming to the forefront of the, uh, uh, the, the, the situation in Libya, you didn't really have that power balance. You had people who were supporting Haftar, namely the United Arab Emirates and Egypt and others who believed that there needed to be a reversal of the clock from the Arab Spring of 2011 and a reinstatement of these strongmen as uh, Steb was talking about military individuals who essentially would continue the status quo of auto autocratic regimes in the in the Arab world. Whereas All right, let's stop this clown. So listen, bottom line is everybody, everyone knows that they do not want any more, you know, clown agency type established governments. They don't need Goldman Sachs coming in to tell them how to do their business. They just want people of the people to be represented there. That's simply it. That is simply it. No ifs, ands, or buts. Now, what people don't want is exactly that. Because, see, there are people that worked with the clown agencies and worked for the establishment that are starting to creep in back into the scene. And so Turkey has now put a bounty on a former Palestinian security chief that it has very high friends. Mind you, he was also... Um, there are classified documents indicating his meetings with Soleimani in Turkey uh, from just a couple of years ago. I just want you guys uh, to listen to this um, little spiel. Take a listen to this. Few individuals in the Middle East embody the contradictions and backroom wheeling and dealing more than Mohammed Dalan. He is someone straight out of a Cold War spy novel, it seems, on whom Turkey last week placed a $700,000 bounty for his capture, according to the newspaper Haaretz, and $1.7 million, according to the website Middle East Eye. Dalan is a Palestinian from the Gaza Strip and was the Palestinian Authority's chief of security between 1993 and 2007, during which time he was also a protege of Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat. In 2007, when the Hamas party took over the Gaza Strip, Dalan was accused of funneling U.S. weapons to Fatah fighters and of fueling a civil war between Hamas and Fatah. Then, in 2011, the Fatah party expelled him after evidence emerged that he might have been involved in the poisoning of Yasser Arafat on Israel's behalf. Here at the Real News Network, we have previously discussed his role in Yemen when he cooperated with the Israeli Spare Operations Group Mercenary Company on behalf of the United Arab Emirates. So even though Dalan has been suspected of collaborating with the Israeli government and also with the CIA, he is now considered to be a candidate to replace Mahmoud Abbas as head of the Palestinian Authority. How is this possible and what does Dalan represent in this complicated situation, which involves not only Israel and Palestine, but also Turkey, Egypt, Libya, the UAE and the United States? Now, the reason I mention him is because we have a U.S. State Department related former clown agency guy that came out into the news cycle in 2017 with all this corruption coming out from the Democratic Party uh, who had FARA violations, who is now trying to run to lead Lebanon. So think all of these clowns coming out of the woodwork that had done deals before to betray their nations, 
to supposedly facilitate. But in essence, what they did was they pretended to be fighting Hamas, uh, but they weren't really fighting Hamas. They were helping build Hamas, betraying one of the two parties. So at that point, Israel and the U.S. were supposedly shaking hands and being friends. But on the other hand, the U.S. was weaponizing and building armies of terrorists like Hezbollah and Hamas. And it wasn't the U.S. It wasn't you and I. It was the corrupt Democrats to make sure that they still have a boogeyman to keep everyone in check. Because see, the one thing that the Third Reich didn't like are people that are independent, people that are frugal, people that are determined, people that move forward. Anyone that can move forward without permission is not allowed to live. That was the thing. That was the thing of Hitler. You either get in line or you're eliminated from the line. That's the way it goes. So this is why all of this is coming back. We're seeing that the Democrats are simply an image, an image of what the Third Reich used to be pushing all their rhetorics from the way government should be um, structured to their notions of creating uh, divisive rhetoric and creating pockets of people that will be demonized and dehumanized pushing vaccinations. That was Hitler's number one. I mean, I want to bag and tag you, but I got to do it on a level that you can't see, maybe molecular. So that's going to be a discussion for tomorrow. So what we're seeing now is a huge, rapid development in the Middle East on how things are moving. And not only that, Russia China and the United States are now racing. What are they racing to? Take a listen. It's a very sobering thought that hypersonic weapons, for the most part, cannot be defended against right now. You could certainly see a launch of a missile booster rocket carrying a hypersonic weapon. But once that weapon, say it's a glider, releases from the rocket, you lose track of it. Currently, there are three countries that are vying for the lead in hypersonic weapons development, China, Russia, and the United States. Let me start by talking about China. Uh, they recently tested a hypersonic weapon called the Singkong-2. It's a hypersonic cruise missile. This weapon was released from a rocket high over the sky of northeastern China. It then glided through the atmosphere going at uh, Mach 6, six times the speed of sound, bobbing and weaving, riding the shock waves that it was emitting. Another variety that China is pursuing is called the Dongfeng 17 East Wind. It is a hypersonic glide vehicle. What's important is that it just doesn't simply release and glide to a target. It can be maneuvered and that maneuverability at such high speed is what these countries really prize about hypersonic weapons. Russia tested what's called the avant-garde, and the avant-garde is a hypersonic glide vehicle. According to the Russian sources, they claim that this hypersonic glide vehicle glided 6,000 kilometers across the country to the Far East, the Kamchatka Peninsula, traveling upwards of Mach 27. So that's amazingly, blazingly fast speed. The United States, also very long-standing interest in hypersonics. They have several programs in active testing now. 
All branches of the military are pursuing hypersonic weapons, both the glide vehicles and the cruise missiles. The hypersonic cruise missiles, they are called air breathing, so they propel themselves through the air. Now I should say that these hypersonic cruise missiles, for the most part, they are released at high speed from either a booster missile or from a jet. When they're released, they're traveling pretty fast, but then they propel themselves using what's called a scramjet engine. It's basically a tube where the air comes in, fuel's injected, they mix, combust, and that provides propulsion. Scramjet engines have also been described to me as the most challenging engine to get to work because of the extreme conditions that they're operating under. And the reason is when air is moving so fast at hypersonic speed into this tube, molecules have fractions of milliseconds to mix with the air. There are other problems as well, and that has to do with the boundary layer of air that the vehicle is traveling through at hypersonic speed. This boundary layer actually thickens the faster you go at hypersonic speed. And in this very complex kind of physical environment, turbulence causes spikes in uh, temperature and the spikes in temperature can heat up the skin of the vehicle to very high temperatures. Traveling at very high hypersonic speeds, high Mach numbers, air around the vehicle ionizes to the extent that radio signals have trouble getting through. So let's say these hypersonic gliders that can go upwards of Mach 25, 27, uh, you would have this problem communicating with them. Testing vehicles at these hypersonic speeds, it's extremely expensive. So there's been very limited testing and because there's been limited testing, you have a pretty patchy success rate. Russia's already deploying hypersonics. They beat the US to the punch in that way. It really is a competitive space race in a way. Space Force. I'm just saying a lot of this stuff is coming to the surface so we can realize what's really going on behind the scenes from the impeachment, which is just a distraction uh, to um, the fake war in Iran and disallowing us to execute foreign policy, which promotes freedom, independence and power to the people to the space race, the race that we had lost because we vested it in the crown and the royals you know the ones pelosi keeps talking about how you know they're great and perfect and so amazing and i was there with the king of so-and-so and so-and-so and and they were telling me so-and-so like nobody cares about so-and-so we care about america cracker jacks and baseball and what our nation is doing that's the bottom line i mean you know, we're seeing, just like Steve Bannon said, people in Hong Kong raising up for the U.S., people in Iran saying, make Iran great again. This is what they're saying. People in Lebanon, scared, completely scared of what's going on. And I'm going to give you a scoop. And I say this as a scoop because today I am going to be... Um, preoccupied. So this is quite early in the morning that I'm recording this. I'm going to tell you, sources tell me that um, Lebanon is going to be the center of 
everything. Because, you know, Lebanon was the one that first forfeit all their rights to any voting in the assembly. And now they're realizing when they forfeited their right to a voice, right, that they are in so much trouble, right? They are in so much trouble because as a nation, they're failing kind of like Ocasio to pay their dues. But what's important for people to understand is, is that when people in these Middle Eastern nations and European nations that have forfeited their rights to the United Nations that claim sovereignty wherever they go, they don't run to another Arab nation. They don't run to the European Union. They run to Asia. They run to China and Japan to hide. And what's interesting is, you know, how we have like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, uh, you know, GMC, Nissan, all of these companies, you know, in all these nations, you know, that have, you know, presence. Well, I, just as a fun fact, but the former CEO of a car conglomerate from Lebanon, a big one, right, actually ran away from Lebanon, uh, uh, ran away to Lebanon, sorry, to escape court in Japan. I'm just saying, why would the CEO of Nissan in Japan run to Lebanon to escape court from Japan? Because if you run from Lebanon to Japan, nobody can touch you. Thus, if you run from Japan to Lebanon, nobody can get you because they don't talk and they don't share. This is how criminals hide each other. And this is how they help penetrate ranks. I'm just saying it's getting pretty interesting right now and it's getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And I urge you, as they push on for their fake news to tell you it's got to be true because you saw it on TV, you need to listen to your president because many, many people say that if the Senate doesn't do this, it's unfair trial. Listen, man, if any judge sitting on a bench says that they're going through with a trial with no crime, no evidence, right? That's a sham of a court. And I can speak from experience. There's no crime, no evidence, no reason to start this, but a judge is going to entertain it means that they give, they give power to the fake establishment, to the witch hunts. Mm, it's horrific. It is horrific. But I have to say this. We should not trust everyone in the Senate Look at the people in the Senate. I mean, a lot is coming out where a lot of them will have to recuse themselves for interest, blah, blah, blah. And the more of us that start putting our nose down, eyes up, and start focusing with stars forward, there won't be one senator eligible to even sit as jury, okay? Let's just be right there. On top of that, Chief Justice Supreme Court Roberts, are you kidding? Like head corrupt man, the guy that single-handedly has destroyed all faith in the FISA court. We're going to trust him to sit. I'm just saying. Look at all these senators. They come in with, I don't know, $20 million net worth, which, you know, doesn't seem much like a public servant type thing. It's more self-servant, right? Um, 
suddenly after one term are worth, you know, three times as much. Totally makes you question why they started to serve the people. I mean, that's the question there. Why would you serve the people at this age when you have so much? Why are you coming in? Why do we keep voting in these people? Guys, we need to vote average Americans. People that don't have two pennies to rub together, live paycheck to paycheck, have had the same job for like 20 years, put their head down, work, white picket fence, divorce. Who cares? We just need average Americans. We don't need bankers. We don't need lawyers. We need people. Because at the, at the end of the day, if we're picking these, you know, silver tongued, you know, silver spoon fed clowns to run the nation don't expect for them to understand your problems if you don't have average joe that's working in the factory the guy that's working at the power plant you know the trucker right the guy that's been driving for a living the coal miner the steel miller the secretary, right? The executive assistant, whatever you want to call it, corner shop owner, gas station pumper. If they're not the ones in our house, how do we expect these idiots that have millions upon millions of dollars to relate to us? How do we expect that to happen when you're picking representatives? Oh, they're so, you know, they're successful and I will put them in. No, you won't. You need to put your neighbor in that just retired or you need to put his wife that's kind of smart, went to college, but, you know, took a back seat because they had kids. Take that woman and put her into Congress because she'll understand the housewife. She'll understand the husband bringing home the bacon. She'll understand bills, repossessions, everything. Those are the type of people we need in Congress. And this is what the president is trying to tell you. Aside from the corrupt clowns, he's trying to tell you that. And if you look at the people that he can actually pick himself to run, that he promotes to run, it says everything. Don't listen to the TV. Listen to you. Look at a neighbor that's really good at doing paperwork or, you know, that has a good point of view. Why aren't they running? You should be encouraging your neighbor to run. You should be encouraging them to run because it's our nation. He's giving the power back to us, the people. Why aren't we taking this opportunity? Why isn't anybody doing this? Why aren't they pushing? Why aren't they going forward? I mean, I'll tell you what, if I could, I would have, I would have, I've got way too much going on. I would have, I'm saying it straight. All of us, you know what? If there were 20 people on the ballot, you know, it has to come down to it. Everyone keeps complaining. Oh my God, they're all crooks. They're the well, what are you doing about it? What have you done to fix that cycle? What have you done to elect your average Joe, average Sally? What have you done? Nothing. So you can't really complain unless you do something. And that's to ensure that the right people are in office. That's what we have to do. This is what we have to do now. Keep that in mind this week because there is so much coming out from James O'Keefe to possibly an indictment coming out. Oh my gosh, is it Friday yet? The 17th of January is so awesome, even for me personally. Everyone, um, yes, just stand fast and pray. God bless from all of us here at Red State. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening.